Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Thank you, James. Isn't that a beautiful song? That's from a group called Casting Crowns, I think almost 20 years ago. And the thing I love about that song is it reminds us uh, that in church gatherings like this, and we, we, he talked about steeples, we don't have a steeple here, but it can be so easy uh, to miss uh, one person that can just get lost in the room that's at the very end of their rope. And before we get into what we're doing today, I just want to say to you, if you feel like you're that one person, I just believe God wants to speak to you today. And he wants you to know that he is living hope that's available to you. And you're not alone if you feel like you're isolated and running completely in the wrong direction, even though you're in places like this. So we want to know uh, that we see you, and we want, I want you to know that I believe God is drawing uh, you to himself today. One of the ministries we have here at Graceland Church is called Celebrate Recovery, and they are one of the absolute best at this sort of ministry. When we are struggling, which we, how many of us struggle? When we need external help, how many of us need external help? I mean, it models for us things that the church should be doing better, like leading with confession and focusing on discipleship. Celebrate Recovery does that phenomenally. phenomenally. So we're going to take a whole Sunday today and break from our series through the Gospel of John just to give you a glimpse into what we do at Celebrate Recovery, hear from our Celebrate Recovery team. There's a rowdy group right over here to my left that's... That's our Celebrate Recovery leadership team. And we have Stephen and Heather who lay uh, that our Celebrate Recovery ministers here. And let me just say before I invite them up, look at my notes here because there are some sensitive topics that are going to be addressed in the testimonies today. So if you have kids in here, um, we think it, it will be okay, but it is some sensitive things. So if you'd like to take your kids up to Studio G for elementary, which is right up the stairs out the foyer, or you can walk around and take younger kids over to our kids' wing over there for preschool and nursery. Feel free to do that now or at any moment during the service. They can, they can still sign them in and take them in there. And with that, um, let's just clap our hands and honor Stephen and Heather Houlet as they come to kick us off. Good morning, everybody. My name is Steven. I am a Christian alcoholic, drug addict. I am 15 years clean and sober by the grace of God, which is a true, a true miracle. A um, little bit, uh, just uh, very briefly about myself. I, I was uh, uh, born and raised in uh, Southern California. Uh, grew up a heathen. Uh, didn't ever go to church. Uh, my parents never took me to church. Um, not even Christmas and Easter. Um, so I was, I was christened as a child um, uh, at a Catholic church, but literally never taken back unless there was a wedding or a funeral. Um, and in California, that's very normal. It's, uh, we here in the, in the Bible Belt, it's, it's the polar opposite. Uh, but that's where I come from. Uh, when I was about 12, and my, my parents are good people, loved me. I always felt loved. Um, it's just they, my dad had a bad experience in Catholic uh, school as a kid, so he felt like he was protecting me. And um, my mom it was never taken to church when she was a kid. My, my dad's a CPA. My mother was an artist. Um, decent people. I felt loved. Um, when, when I was about 12, they divorced, and that was when I first um, found alcohol. And so from 
the age of 12 to 33, I went on a, a tear uh, with drugs and alcohol. Um, my, and I was an atheist. I argued against Christians, and this is just where I come from. Um, at 33, I, I found myself in a um, drug and alcohol, like a lockdown drug and alcohol uh, rehab. And I was, I hope I don't get emotional when I say this, I was on my knees um, in a garden where we were asked to do um, garden work. And um, I, I looked up and, and I said, God, if you're real, I need you and I need help because I don't want to live anymore. And that, <clears throat> that's where my life had taken me with drugs and alcohol. That was my cure for 20 years. And then to have that taken away and just be left without God. Um, that's where my journey started. My journey started with um, Alcoholics Anonymous, with 12-step recovery, and literally just opened the door enough to where, to say that I am, and I am absolutely a soldier for Christ now, I'm on the front lines of spiritual warfare uh, every day in this ministry that I believe God has prepared me for to be uniquely qualified to reach people that are very, very hard to reach. Um, to say that I'd be on a staff at a church, um, I would say you're insane uh, back in the day. So uh, God has truly trans uh, tr transformed my life. I'm so grateful. I'm grateful for this church. I'm grateful for Nathan. And recovery is such a big part um, of, of his vision for this church. And we're so grateful for you to be able to do this every Wednesday night. We're going to give you a little uh, brief insight to what we do every Wednesday night here. So, My name is Heather. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus. I'm in recovery for drug addiction, spiritual abuse, and abandonment. And I'm 15 and three quarters years sober because every moment counts. Um, it's not easy, but it's worth it, right? Um, and, you know, one thing about Celebrate Recovery that is just so special is that um, the whole program is found in God's holy word. It's based on the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. And, you know, you're going to hear some stories today that you're going to say, well, I don't really relate to that. That's not really my story. Um, and really what we ask you to look for is the solution because the solution is the same. No matter what hurt, what habit, what hang-up you might have, you might be walking through the loss of a loved one. Literally, if you're breathing, this program is for you. That's what we always say. I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was actually a pastor for much of my childhood. I was in church every Sunday. I even joke and say I was born on a church pew. Um, and a, I was... Uh, I was preparing for a skating competition. I was a competitive skater and had a major injury and had my first experience with pain pills. That led me into a season of drug addiction that led me to a very dark place. Um, and so I say that to tell you that while Stephen and I grew up very different, we both had amazing parents, wonderful childhoods, um, addiction, hurts, habits, hangups, they don't discriminate. And oftentimes it looks very different than what you think it looks like. And that's why I love that song uh, that James sang this morning morning because I was uh, one of those girls falling under the steeple with shame and nobody knew. Um, and it was, you know, that shame of you don't even want to ask for help because you don't even know, you want to get out of it so bad and you don't know how. Um, and so... I'm trying not to get emotional this morning, um, but just listen closely to the testimonies and what God has for you um, in, in, in this and to see that the solution um, is the same in all of it. And so uh, with that, uh, we are going to ask Michelle to come up first. She's on our leadership team here um, at Graceland Church. 
And she's going to share a little bit about her testimony with you today. So I'm going to take just a few minutes and tell you about part of my story about how good, beautiful, and faithful God is. Hi, I'm Michelle, and I'm a grateful believer in Jesus in recovery for codependency and trauma. Codependency for me is defined as being the caretaker of the emotions of family members and enabling destructive behavior. I grew up in a beautiful small town, the, grand the granddaughter of a well-known pastor on my father's side, and on my mother's side, her father struggled with alcohol use and depression. When she was in middle school, he killed a man that followed him home after a bar fight, and he spent 18 months in prison because he refused to say he was afraid of the man. He died when she was 16 in an alcohol-related car accident. My mother was teased relentlessly after my grandfather's incarceration and got into fights daily in middle school. It became very important to her that our family always seem normal from the outside and that all family struggles be kept within the family in order to spare her children the pain that she had gone through. As the oldest of three children, I took on the role of caretaker for my mother and siblings. There were lots of ups and downs, good times and bad growing up, and me and my siblings were close. We learned to use a sarcastic sense of humor and laughter as protection and laughed off most of the bad. I covered up family secrets and believed it was my job to be the caretaker of everyone else's emotions. They had to be okay for me to be okay. I helped and managed and kept family secrets including suicide attempts, severe depression, and substance use. I lost my little brother to substance use when he was 25. When I finally did decide that I was in over my head and reached out to a non-immediate family member for help, they told me that my mother was just being dramatic and they hung up on me. I handled the stress of life through unhealthy relationships and perfectionism, always focusing on what I did wrong and needed to improve on. I had an internal dialogue that I wasn't enough to be loved without being perfect. My third year of college, I had a whirlwind relationship and moved in with someone that I was not married to. It had every relationship red flag. There was, but red flags just felt really familiar, so we got married. It became abusive quickly, and I lived a double life for eight years and never let on to the outside world what was going on. I took care of my son, my home, attended PTO meetings and school functions, finished my degree, and worked full-time. I would leave and then come back after deciding that it probably really wasn't that bad and that I could fix it. I minimized events that happened, including him describing what would happen to me if I left him and showing me the storage facility where he would hide my body. I can remember being upset for a second and then thinking, he's just being dramatic. He wouldn't really do it. Not acknowledging that that was still bad and required action. I was afraid to leave, but I was also prideful and did not want to share what was going on with anyone for fear that if a person that was supposed to love me the most would treat me that way, others would also see my lack of value. I prayed during this extremely difficult time and took my son to church from time to time, but did not have a close relationship with Jesus. But I know he walked with me and protected me every step of the way. At my lowest point in my marriage, I had decided to end my life by turning into the path of a concrete truck. I was close enough to see the man's eyes in the truck, and God whispered to me quietly in my spirit, that man will never get over this. And it brought me out of the emotion and back to that moment. And y'all, I'm going to tell you, I was so far 
out of that mindset that it was absolutely God. God saved my life. A friend asked me to church, and one day in desperation at the altar, I asked God to hold on to me because I wasn't sure I was strong enough to hold on to him, and he did. The path he walked me down has been beautiful, not always easy, but beautiful, and something only God could design. I'd love to share all of it with you today, but I only got a couple minutes, so I would love to share it at CR or here after the um, service. Part of that path was God bringing me to CR, a ministry through which God has been so faithful in healing. God even used a roadside to bring me to Graceland's CR. I have found healing, a stronger relationship with God than I knew was possible, and a family of believers that love me, flaws and all, and hold me accountable and do church the way Jesus did. He continues to heal, to heal me daily, and I am now blessed to get to work with individuals who are trauma survivors and have other mental health struggles, and I get to serve on the Celebrate Recovery leadership team here at Graceland. To anyone who struggles with self-worth, Due to the past, I would like to read Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Thanks for letting me share. Good morning. My name is Steve. I'm a grateful believer and I'm in recovery for alcoholism. I didn't wake up one morning and decide to become an alcoholic. For years it was hard for me to even say the word, much less admit I was one and have been for quite a long time. For decades it was convenient for me to divide my life into two distinctive periods of time. The one where I drank my first beer at 13, smoked my first joint at 14, by age 16 was a regular drinker, went to college and joined a fraternity and drank and ingested nearly everything anyone put in front of me. It seemed like no big deal at the time. Everybody was doing it. But at age 20, I made a conscious decision that took things to another level. I dropped out of college and moved to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where I became a bartender and a server at a restaurant on the beach. I wanted to be Jimmy Buffett. But it turns out he's the only one who can be Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> For the next 10 years, I pushed myself to the limits of partying, thinking, that, um, thinking only of myself and pleasure. I bounced around from South Florida to my home state of Kentucky, working in the restaurant and retail liquor business, never thinking I'd make it past the age of 30. When I did reach 30, things began to change. I had already been through a brief and failed marriage, done nearly every drug I could get my hands on, and drank anything containing alcohol. But it wasn't working. I was miserable. That's when I finally turned around and met the God who'd been chasing me all my life. Not to chastise me for who I'd become, but to create a new me. I'd like to tell you that that's where things turned around for good, but I'd be lying. And I am a good liar. When I met my wife, Tara, I wasn't drinking. Five months before we had met, I had an experience that led me to get serious about my relationship with Christ. And while I had stopped drinking, I was nowhere near sober. We moved to Middle Tennessee in late 1998, and over the next 22 years, I had a series of stops and starts with alcohol, but it all ended up the same. An occasional beer led to more beer, then hard liquor, then a lot more of everything. By this time, I had learned to hide my drinking, and since I wasn't doing drugs anymore, I was fine, right? That's called alcologic. <laughs> Lying to cover my tracks became very confusing. I had learned to act in so many roles and wear so many masks for so long, I often forgot from time to time which character I should play. 
which mask I should wear. I had forgotten who I was, both in Christ and in the flesh. It was exhausting. Then came COVID. I began that year already spending way too much time with my old friend alcohol, and COVID made it worse. I was underperforming in my work, lying about my activity, and spiraling down a familiar hole into a bottle of beer. Even so, I had convinced myself that it wasn't out of control, that I was at least a functioning alcoholic. Neither were true. I knew deep down I was headed for trouble, but I wasn't ready to face myself or God about the problem. That all changed on Labor Day of 2020. I had been drinking on and off for much of the day, and by the time I went to pick up my son and one of his friends at another kid's house that evening, I was drunk. The alcohol told me I was fine. I was just driving through the neighborhood. On the way home, I swerved off the road, and though we didn't end up in the ditch, I scared the boys and cut the tire in my wife's car. That got my attention. I lied to her about what happened when I got home. I worked some on Tuesday, got a new tire on Wednesday, and by Thursday finally admitted to God and myself that things had spun completely out of control. That morning, I came clean with my boss, a pastor at church, and did the same with my family that evening. I also got in touch with Stephen Houlet. The next day, I made initial inquiries into a program through Cumberland Heights that met four days a week, three hours a day for nine weeks. As part of this program, I also attended AA meetings, and in early October of that year, began attending Celebrate Recovery meetings here at Graceland Church. My recovery journey began at the same time that CR did here. And so thank you, Pastor Nate, Stephen, and Heather, and all of you for embracing this program and making it a priority. My goal in recovery is not to simply stop drinking. It's a good start, but I've learned that unless I pull up by the root the issues and triggers that drive me to drink, I will never stay sober. Unless I truly feel my emotions and learn to deal with them, I'll never truly be sober. The thing about numbing emotions with alcohol, which is what I did, is that there's no way to selectively numb. When I drank to avoid the pain of bitterness, anger, depression, fear, helplessness, and all of that, I also numbed hope, empathy, joy, connectedness, and most importantly, the power of God's grace. I may have taken my last drink on October 4th of 2020, but the work is just beginning. For the first time in my life, I'm beginning to understand who I am in Christ, not just what he saved me from. Jesus says he wants us to live life abundantly, and I think he means that. The word also says that God will use all things for his glory if we let him. Not some things, but all things, including alcoholism. Without my addiction, I don't know that I truly understand my deep need for Christ. So I count it all joy and embrace the journey, and while I'm nowhere near finished, at least I know I'm now on the right road. My name is Steve. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I can say this now. I am an alcoholic. Thank you, Steve. I think it's important to note, if you join us at Celebrate Recovery on Wednesdays, we will not put you up on the stage. It is anonymous program, um, but we do get to a point in our recovery where we just want to shout it from the rooftop to be a light for someone else to say, hey, there is hope, there's healing, and let me tell you how it worked for me. And so that's our team that's here and willing to do that um, today. Somebody did that. I shared in the first service. Um, when we moved to, to Tennessee uh, from California, um, I was three years clean and sober at the time, and I remember um, walking into a church service where the woman's pastor was on stage sharing about um, her her history and her addiction and just some stuff she had been through. And it was the first time really that I felt like maybe God can still use me. 
And so we want to provide that light um, to others to know that God is not through with you yet. Um, we're going to share every other week um, in Celebrate Recovery, we do a teaching lesson um, or we do a testimony. And this Wednesday, we have a very special guest coming to share her testimony with us. Um, and so we want to invite anyone to come, if anything, to support us on our journey this Wednesday at 630. Today, we're going to do a teaching lesson that I'm going to run through pretty quickly here. If you didn't get um, your welcome card when you walked in, we can get one to you. Just raise your hand. It has the notes on it for you. Um, we're going to start with principle six and step nine is what we're going to go over today. It's a lesson on grace and our steps and our principles in Celebrate Recovery kind of coincide with each other. So principle six says, evaluate all my relationships, offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me and make amends for harm I've done to others, except when to do so would harm them or others. Happy are the merciful, Matthew 5, 6, and happy are the peacemakers, Matthew 5, 9. Step nine says, we may direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. As we grow as Christians and as we grow in our recovery, we want to follow the guidance and the direction of Jesus Christ. And as we get to know him better, we want to model his teachings and, and his ways in our life. We want to become more like him. Honestly, if we're going to implement principle six to the best of our ability in our lives, we need to learn to model God's grace. But how? The key verses of Celebrate Recovery are 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. But he said to me, my grace is enough for you. When you are weak, my power is made perfect in you. So I am very happy to brag about my weaknesses. Then Christ's power can live in me. For, the reason I, for this reason, I am happy when I have weaknesses, insults and hard times, suffering and all kinds of trouble for Christ. Because when I am weak, then I am truly strong. Celebrate Recovery is built on and centered in Christ's grace and love for each of us. Let's look at our acrostic. The G in grace is God's gift. Grace is a gift. Grace cannot be bought. It is freely given by God to you and me. When we offer or give our amends, we expect nothing back in recovery. And that is a gift from us to those who have hurt whom to those whom we have hurt. And when someone says sorry to us, we learn we don't have to tell them we've already forgiven them in our heart. We learn we say, Thank you. In my relationship with God, um, if it were to be dependent on me being perfect, we would have trouble, right? Um, it, it, Thank God that that is not the case and that my relationship um, with him is built on his grace and his love for me. So how do we receive God's gift of grace? That's the next uh, blank on your acrostic, and that is the R, received by our faith. No, no matter how hard we may work, we cannot earn our way into heaven. Only by professing our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior can we experience his grace and can we have eternal life. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, um, not by works, so that none of us can boast. You and I, as humans, tend to be more interested in what we can do, whereas God is way more interested in what we are. Romans 5, 2 says of Jesus, Through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace, in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Friends, our walk needs to match our talk. 
not only as women and men in recovery, but as men and women of God. Our beliefs and values are seen by others in our actions, and it is through our faith in Christ that we can find strength and courage needed for us to take action, the action that principle six requires, making our amends and offering forgiveness. Oftentimes, I'll share in women's ministries and, and, and to men alike that so often, whether it's in recovery um, or outside of recovery, people will come to you and they will ask you, how come you can go through hard times and you come out looking very different on the other side? And we say, it's God's grace. It's God's grace, and it's this program that we follow every day, step one through 12. We follow and we practice these principles in all of our affairs. The next letter in grace is A, we are accepted by God's love. God loved you and me while we were still out there sinning. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We can in turn love others because God first loved us. We also can forgive others because God first forgave us. Colossians 3.13 says, Be gentle and ready to forgive. Never hold grudges. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. I don't know about you, but many of us uh, believe that we do not deserve God's love. And the good news is he, expects us, he accepts us in spite of ourselves. Amen. Um, he sees my failures, he sees my flaws, and he loves me anyway. I mean, the same goes for you this morning. Hebrews 4.16 tells us, let us then feel very sure that we can come before God's throne where there is grace. There we can receive mercy and grace to help us when we need it. Let's move on to the C. It's Christ paid the price. Jesus died on the cross so that all our sins, all our wrongs are forgiven. He paid the price. He sacrificed himself for you and me so that we may be with him forever. We can accept Christ's work on the cross. And when we do, we are made a new creation. We can rely on God's strength and power to enable us to forgive those who have hurt us. We can set aside our selfishness and speak the truth in love. We focus only on our part in making amends and offering forgiveness. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In Christ we are set free by the blood of his death, and so we have forgiveness of sins. How high is God's grace? The last letter in grace is E, and that's God's grace is everlasting gift. Once you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God's gift of grace is forever. Let me read a quote to you from the big book of AA, pages 83 and 84. It says, once you've completed step nine, you will know a new freedom and a new happiness. You will comprehend the word serenity and you will know peace. You will suddenly realize that God is doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. And here's a quote from the real big book, the Bible. It comes from Philippians 1.6, and I am sure that God who began the good work within you will keep right on helping you grow in his grace until his task within you is finally finished on that day when Jesus Christ returns. First Peter 2, 9 and 10, God says, for you have been chosen by God himself. You are priests of the king. You are holy and pure. You are God's very own. All this so that you may show to others how God called you out of the darkness into the wonderful light. Once you, were less, once you were less than nothing, and now you are God's own. 
Once you knew very little of God's kindness, and now your very lives have been changed by it. I stand before you today as a product of God's grace. Everyone here this morning who has let Christ into his or her life is a product of God's grace. And as we model this grace, we will be able to do the work that principle six requires of us. When I was new in recovery, I was in a big book study out in LA and the the gentleman leading the study shared with everybody, he said, whatever God you had before you walked into this room clearly wasn't working for you or you wouldn't be in this room. And I, in my, you know, thinking I knew everything stage, um, I thought, well, he doesn't know what he's talking about because my God was actually working really hard for me and that's how I even made it into this room. That's why I'm alive today. So I questioned him after. And I said, you know, I, I told him that. And he looked me dead in the eye. And I'll tell you, this changed my relationship with the Lord forever. And he said, Heather, maybe you need to learn to know him differently. And I want to encourage any of you here today that may have some head information and, and maybe grew up in the church and thinks you know what you need to know. Maybe you've come in here today as a guest of somebody, as a friend, and you really don't even know what this God or Jesus thing is. I want to encourage you to know him now, or maybe for some to know him differently. And I'll close with Colossians 1.6. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. At this time, I'm going to ask uh, Lori and Wendy to come up. They're going to share the 12 uh, steps with you with their biblical comparisons. Um, a secular program found, that was founded on the 12 steps pulled all the biblical scripture to make it more attractive to people. And so what Celebrate Recovery does is they go back in and they show you exactly where the 12 steps come from. And so they're going to come up and share that with you this morning. Hi, uh, my name is Wendy, and I'm in recovery for trauma and codependency. Hi, guys. My name is Lori. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus, and I'm in recovery from alcoholism and codependency. We will read the 12 steps. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors, that our lives had become unmanageable. And this is the scripture verse. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Romans 7:18. Two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Romans 7:18. Three. Let me read the right, right one. I'm sorry, guys. That's, I'm going to have to get regular glasses someday. <laughs> I am so sorry. Um, so number two, it's, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose, Philippians 2.13. I apologize. <laughs> Three, we made a decision to turn our lives and our wills over to the care of God. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship, Romans 12.1.
Four, we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Let us examine our ways and test them, and let us return to the Lord. Lamentations 3.40. Five, we admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. James 5.16. Six, we were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. James 4.10. Seven, we humbly asked him to remove all our shortcomings. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9. Eight, we made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Luke 6.31. Nine, we made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Matthew 5, 23 and 24. 10. We continue to take personal inventory. And when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Corinthians 10, 12. 11, we sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and power to carry that out. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, Colossians 3.16. And 12, having had a spiritual experience as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to others and practice these principles in all our affairs. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore them gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Galatians 6 1. Good morning. Uh, I am a grateful Christian. My name is Jeremy, and I am celebrating recovery for alcoholism. Yeah. My compulsive behavior friends cannot stop uh, saying hi, whomever, after. <laughs> Bear with us. Thank you. Uh, I was raised in a large Christian family. Uh, we grew up being in church pretty much any time the doors were open. I never got in trouble. I excelled in school. I always had a job. I was active in church. I even started FCA at high school, here at Centennial High School, and led other Christian groups. I was the perfect child despite a few minor flaws like procrastination, manipulation, and a little egocentric. <laughs> at the same time, my middle brother was getting in trouble for drinking, drugs, fighting, poor grades. You get the picture. And that just exacerbated my perfect child syndrome. In 1998, I headed to college. 
My second night at college gave me my first experience with alcohol. I was eager to please some of the cooler kids uh, that I went to high school with since they were drinking. And since they were drinking, I drank too. I hated the taste, but the effect it had on me was quite literally life-altering. Alcohol quickly became an every Friday and Saturday night event for me. As my first semester in college deepened my new relationship with alcohol, it also painfully revealed my problems. College became just a series of parties. I had to sit out of college twice due to poor grades, but my drinking actually increased during that entire time. As I sought to forget about my poor grades, my declining moral standards, and to try to quiet God's voice that was trying to call me back. My final semester should have been a wake-up call for me. I was running low on funds, and I couldn't afford to keep up with my now daily drinking habit, so I fabricated a story where I was mugged walking home from campus to my apartment one night. Then I called my parents. Um, as this wasn't bad enough, since I knew I'd be seeing my parents that weekend, in order to solidify my lie, I repeatedly punched myself in the face to give myself a black eye to further sell the lie. All this so they would give me some money for alcohol. After graduation, I started working in an alcohol-laden environment at the legislature. True story. Go farther into that one. But Ten years went by like a flash. I was able to do well at work despite drinking more and more. I began to call out from work first, first one day at a time, but then two or three days at a time. I knew my life was unsustainable, but I kept making excuses. I thought things would be different when I got engaged or when I got married or when our first child was born, but they never did. By January 2016, my drinking was absolutely out of control. I was completely ashamed of what my life had become. I would wake up in the morning and swear I would not drink today and mean it with every fiber of my being, but would always end up going to the liquor store on the way to pick up my son from daycare. I had to drink. I could not function without it, and I had no choice in the matter. I had no way out. That March, my wife had had enough of my sickness, and so she told me I needed to get help. And I finally found CR and got a sponsor. But I wasn't ready for a change. After a few more months like this, I was finally so defeated and tired that I just gave up. I did not want to fight anymore, and I did not want to go on living that way. I was just done. I did the only thing I knew to do. I called out to God for help. I sat on the end of my bed sobbing, how had it gotten so bad so fast? Then I called my sponsor. Anything he said, I did. I asked God to start showing me what my real problems were that led to me using alcohol as a coping mechanism. I told my parents about my alcoholism. I started working the steps, and my wife and others started to notice a difference. I began working with others, and I was strengthened, and I stayed sober. When I needed God the most, he was there, and he worked through others by sending them into my life. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. CR and those that God sent into my life became that cord. God had done for me what I could not do for myself. My last drink of alcohol was October 27, 2016. You always get me choked up at this part. <laughs> uh, my oldest son was two at that time, and hopefully he will never have a memory of his father drinking. 
My youngest son was born over a year after my sobriety date, so he will never experience a drunk father. My life has completely changed. I enjoy being a husband and a father. I am filled with joy and with peace. Psalms 30, verses 8, 10, and 11 say, To you, Lord, I cried. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. You turned my wailing into dancing, and you removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. Thank you for letting me be here today. Help me welcome Rachel. Hello, everyone. They saved me for last. I don't know what that means. We're going to find out together. Okay, my name is Rachel. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus, and I'm in recovery for drug addiction, trauma, and suicide. Good job. I waited a second. I need it for affirmation. Okay. Um, I remember being told that I was a joyful child, playful, free-spirited, happy, life-giving, open. But starting at the age of seven, something began to shift, and I found that those words were rarely used to describe me anymore. My mom remembers me coming to her around the age of seven and saying, Mom, I don't want to be here anymore. It was my first acknowledgement that earth didn't feel like home to me and what I believe were my first childlike thoughts of suicide. Over the next couple of years, I began feeling and hearing that I was mischievous, deceitful, closed off, ornery, and angry. I can now remember that shift in my character and personality. It was slow and subtle, but it was there, making its way ever so slightly through my body. I was raised in a Christian household by two parents that had profound faith and consistent pursuit of God. At the age of six, I began having strange, uncontrolled movements in my jaw. At such a young age, I did not know how to fully describe what I was feeling to my family, and the doctors assumed, based on the description, I was having neck spasms. For a year, I was having seizures alone, but they were never at a time that anyone could see me. Once diagnosed at the age of seven, they continued to get worse, and the seizures specifically affected my jaw, which would dislocate and jar itself open. Sometimes, I would also send my, sometimes they would also send my body into violent shaking. I started having clinical seizures daily, and at, at times I would have them up to three times a day. It's only recently that I understood how truly traumatic that is for a child. My eyes would remain open and functioning, trapping me in my own body as everyone watched me suffer, unable to help. I felt so alone and powerless. Today I'm 31 years old. You might wonder, why am I telling you a story from such a young age? But I know with confidence that the years that followed were rooted in the beliefs that I made during this time. I decided what I believed about life, God, and myself at the age of nine. And on October 5th, 2001, we reached a breaking point. The severity of this disorder had reached a level that was not only exhausting me, but every person around me. On this night, my parents were involved in a monthly Bible study with other families where all the kids would play games in the basement. Specifically, we would play mafia in the basement. So I was naturally curious, and in the middle of the game, while everyone's eyes are closed, I disappeared and left them wondering where I was. I decided to go stand at the staircase and watch the adults during their meeting. The leader saw me through the staircase, and he said, Rachel, do you need something? And I said, I would like to be prayed for. I don't know what led me up that night because I had been prayed over hundreds of times before. But I think that was the first time I asked for it. They immediately welcomed me upstairs and sat me on a chair in the center of the room. As the group began to pray, I could hear their voices hovering around me. All of a sudden, 
my ability to understand what their voices were saying started to shift. And I could tell that my ears were being focused somewhere else. And it was almost like they were singing hymns around me. I looked to my right and I felt something touch my left jaw, specifically the jaw that would dislocate. And I pushed my face that way and I looked up in the corner and I saw two angels in the corner of the kitchen. And immediately I heard God say, Rachel, you are going to be okay. I'm taking your seizures away. I stood up and I didn't say anything. I wanted to return to the game. So I ran downstairs and I got home that night. My mom was tucking me in. And as she was walking out the door, I said, Mommy, I saw angels and God spoke to me. She believed me and immediately scheduled an EEG, which took about a week to get into. And in that time, I had zero clinical seizures. In my previous test about a week before the prayer, it was revealed that I had seizure activity in my body every three seconds and that 80% of my sleep was seizure activity. However, on this day, my results were very different. It showed that my body had no seizure activity. And better yet, it showed that there was never a seizure that occurred in my brain ever before. So from the day of hearing God's voice say that I was healed, I never had a clinical seizure again. The doctors were shocked. My family and friends were thanking God for the healing. But I was filled with confusion. I left that experience having a profound and solid faith in the Lord. It was unshakable. I also left that holy experience with a deep distrust in the character of God. Immediately following my healing, I made a silent choice about my life and God, that he is real, but I will not trust him. Therefore, I'm going to do whatever I want. And that small childlike belief infiltrated every area of my life. I ran away from the Lord for 15 years, running from the kindness of God, but feeling it nonetheless. I gave my thoughts too much power and made my will more important than his. My years of running led to an addiction to prescription pills, drinking, smoking, and soon after I was sexually and physically assaulted, raped, started selling drugs, stealing, and began offering my body over for exchange of love and drugs. By the age of 25, I had survived three suicide attempts and woke up miraculously with no sign of impact. Seven years ago, God caught up with me. Or better yet, I finally turned around as he was never, or he was never not there. I decided to get help. I had told my family and began the hard journey of returning home, which I quickly found was much easier than running. My pain was finally more than the fear of change. In June of 2020, I was told about this Celebrate Recovery, which has been an unexpected gift in my recovery journey. I got a sponsor and walked through the recovery steps four years into my recovery. It changed everything for me. The verse Psalm 56:13 became my anthem. For you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. On June 15th of this year, I will celebrate seven years clean and free. Yes. The last three years with this family has changed my life forever. I show up every week, and I get to see God's miracle of the witness and witness the stories of God with this group over here. And I couldn't imagine doing anything else every other Wednesday.
or every Wednesday, not every other one. Ignore that. <laughs> Ignore it. Um, I have the honor of just witnessing what a miracle looks like. Today marks 2,496 continuous days of choosing God over my pain. Heck yeah. Let's clap again. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I am so grateful that God denied my request to go home before my time. Now, once again, I am being described as joyful, playful, free-spirited, happy, life-giving, open, just like I was before. And that is what redemption looks like. Thank you for allowing me to share my story today. Good morning, my name is Sue. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus and recovery for codependency, people-pleasing, perfectionism, and food addiction. I'm gonna pray the serenity prayer. A lot of you are probably familiar with it, maybe having heard the first three lines, there's a lot more to it. As I do that, I'd like for you to listen to the words. Really listen to the words of this prayer. When I was early on in recovery, I dug into this prayer. It's biblical. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. What I want to ask you to do if you raised your hand, just make the commitment right now. I want you to come find me right up here at the altar after we dismiss. I just want to connect with you. I want to pray with you. Or, or you can find me as we, as we are out at Taco Sunday. But we want to connect you with your next step, whatever that is. And church, can we just thank God that he's doing work in people's lives right now? Life-changing, renewing, restorative. We thank you for your mercy, Lord. We thank you that it calls us home and we all need it. We all need it. We thank you for this ministry. We thank you for this leadership team. We pray that Celebrate Recovery would be the largest service every week at Graceland Church. <laughs> Lord, we pray uh, for those that feel isolated here in the Bible Belt somewhere, feeling like they want to end it all, feeling like they don't know what to do, self-medicating themselves with all kinds of addictions. We pray that you would draw them into your family, God. And whether that's here or at one of these other beautiful churches and congregations around the city, God, draw prodigals home. And God, we pray for spiritual awakening in our region, God, and across our nation, God. We ask that you would blow through with revival, God. And that altars would be full of people returning in Jesus' name. Um, before I pray this benediction, 
a couple just practical things. We're doing baptisms next Sunday in both of our services. So if you've not been baptized or you're a new Christian, uh, please let us know. We'd love to talk to you about what baptism means and be a part of that in your story. Um, There are Celebrate Recovery materials right out at the table on your way out to the left. All kinds of information about the steps, how you can become a part of it. Um, And there are other Celebrate Recoveries in our area that we partner with. So there's one on Tuesday at Church of the City in Spring Hill. There's one on Thursday at Harpeth. And we're here on Wednesday. And so what we do is it's a beautiful expression of the Church of Christ. We partner with other congregations because when people are in the, the crux of recovery, they go to every single one, right? And they just get connected at all of these. So we just want to connect you with that. You may, God may be calling you to be a part of this team and, and or to go through the program yourself. All the info is there. You can talk to any of the team members here or myself. Um, I also failed to mention when I was talking about our board and our meeting, if you want information about the details on that, make sure you're on our weekly email list or let me know and I can send you that email specially. And then lastly, um, who wants some Taco Sunday instructions? Okay, so here's how it's going to work. I'm going to pray a benediction, then we'll be dismissed. You don't have to run. There's plenty of tacos. There's tacos for all of you. Plenty. You will have your fill. Um, You walk out those doors and straight out the egg the foyer on the backside of the church there. And to your left is the giving station. We're not checking anybody's giving. I encourage you to give something towards that missions trip, uh, but you can just go get tacos and and ignore that if you want to, you'll be fine. Um, I will say, uh, if you give, the more money you give, the better the tacos will taste. I just just have a hunch about that. So (laughs) $1,000 tacos better than a $10 taco. $100 tacos better than a $50. I'm just kidding, but kind of. It's all going to go to support that work and that church facility and those people that were serving in the Mayan Yucatan. Um, I think that was it. I'm going to pray this benediction and we'll be dismissed. Uh, before we do that, can we just thank our, our Celebrate Recovery team and Stephen and Heather Houlet for leading. Thank you, guys. That was amazing. Thank you. It was so awesome. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.